The reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 1 to 24, and it can be found on, one, on page 1041 of the Church Bibles. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is not there, your peace, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and you are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. <coughs> then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. 
This is God's word. Um, what comes to mind when I say telesales people? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that's the normal reaction. For most people, they <clears throat> probably rank as the most despised people, only second to um, traffic wardens. <laughs> Apologies if there are any telesales people or traffic wardens here this morning. No personal offence meant. Uh, but I wonder how you would like to be um, a telemarketer. Here's a description of the particular qualities that you would need to demonstrate. Telemarketers are a special breed of person who can handle rejection, abuse, pressure, and endless repetition of work. It's, in fact, one of the hardest and least recognized areas of employment. And getting the right team of telemarketers to sell your product or service day in, day out, is very difficult. Try making 200 cold phone calls per day to strangers every day for a week and see how you go. It really is a difficult job, and yet there are people who love doing it. Well, I don't think I'd be one of those. It doesn't appear to me to be the most attractive of jobs, and yet when we read a description here, as we've had read to us from Luke, of what is expected of a follower of Jesus Christ, then that doesn't appear to be particularly attractive either, does it? Because what telemarketers and Christians have in common is that they will both face rejection. We are in the middle of a sermon series on the fear of commitment, looking at the different things that hold us back from committing our lives to Jesus Christ or committing them more fully to Jesus Christ if we are already Christians. As we saw in a passage at the end of chapter 9 last time, Jesus makes it clear that There is a huge cost in following him. We have to put him first before our our personal comfort and security, before customs and the crowd, and before pleasures and the past. That was the lesson last time, and now having given his disciples the lesson, he's sending them out to put it into practice. They've done the theory, and now they're on the road. Verse 3 of chapter 10, go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. You're going to be ravaged. You're going to be mauled. Enjoy it. Not exactly the sort of team talk you'd expect our faithful soldiers, who we're remembering today, to be, to be told before they go out into battle. You're going to be ravaged. One of the hardest things about being a Christian is the rejection that we will face. It may not be physical rejection, but the rejection where our values and our priorities and our principles clash with those of the world in which we live. Where our faith clashes with the things that the world puts its faith in. Because as Christians, we're not meant to to hide our faith and keep it to ourselves. Being a Christian involves being sent out into the world as a light into the world to proclaim Christ. And if it's the fear of rejection that we are worried about, then we shall see in this passage this morning that that fear is overshadowed by joy. Jesus sent his disciples out among wolves, but not defenceless, not without power. And they come back, as we see, full of joy. And when they do come back, Jesus points them to a source of joy that is even more fulfilling 
The joy of knowing that our names are written in heaven. The joy of knowing that God the Father delights in us. With that assurance, with that encouragement in place, we can face anything that the world can throw at us. Before we come on to that, let's look at how our disciples get on with the uh, other tasks that uh, they they were given. Why did they not need to fear rejection? Why do we not need to fear rejection? Well, the first point is that we are sent and we are equipped by God. Have a look at this, uh, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. Jesus wants his disciples to go out into the world. He wants them to bring the love and the truth of Jesus to as many people as possible. And he wants that because he himself was sent by the Father into the world. He was the first missionary, if you like. And when Jesus sends his disciples out, he doesn't just uh, send out the 12 closest apostles. He sends out 72 others. As followers of, of Jesus, we are all to be sent out by him. We are all to live in the world. We can't be separate from it. To be a Christian is not about uh, joining a, a cosy club where you can come and uh, sing a few hymns, uh, listen to a talk, have a, have a coffee with your mates. To come together with other Christians and worship is important. You know, we come together and encourage each other in our faith. But we come together to then be sent out <coughs> into the world, into schools, into offices, into hospitals, into factories, into homes, as Christ's ambassadors and as Christ's soldiers. And Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. And I think sometimes the problem is we think that the, the harvest has almost been gathered in. There's just a few fruit left on the tree that we can pick off if we're not too late. But the work has been done. But the harvest is still plentiful. How many people do you think God could bring to faith through us? Think how many people we come to, into contact with each one, with each, each one of us throughout the week in our different situations. We want them to know God, don't we? Do we believe that God can change them or have we given up on them? The harvest is plentiful. But what about the rejection we will face? Well, the reason we don't need to fear rejection is because we are sent by God. And if we know that we're being sent by the Lord, then that is a huge reassurance because we're not just going in our own strength. We're not just going to do our little job. We are on a mission from God. A mission from God, to quote the Blues Brothers, which sounds grand, but that is precisely what we are each on. Each one of us, whether we're called by him to work as a telemarketer or whether we're called to go and work in a hospital. Some will be called to extremely challenging situations, humanly speaking. But to know you are sent by God brings great encouragement because we know that if he sends us, he will equip us to do his job. Now, it might not look like that from the passage when we read it uh, before. If you look at verse 4, what does it say there? It says, Do not take a purse or a bag 
or sandals. In other words, don't take any money. Don't slip any credit cards into your back pocket as a final resort. Don't take a bag or a sleeping bag. Don't take any sandals, which probably means a spare pair of sandals. I don't think he expects them to go out barefoot. But it looks like Jesus is putting his followers through some sort of survival exercise here, doesn't it? Why does he say this? Well, it's because he wants his disciples to learn the lesson of dependence on him. He is saying, I will make sure you get enough to eat, enough clothes to wear, a roof over your head. So don't worry, just trust me. Trust me also that when you are sent out among wolves, you won't get torn to pieces, you will be safe. Now, before we start to apply this literally to our own situations and think, maybe we shouldn't have anything, maybe we should just give it all up. We need to put a passage like this in the context of the whole Bible. Let's look ahead to chapter 22 of Luke's Gospel. Verse 35, page 1058. Then Jesus asked them, says in verse 35, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, well, sell your cloak and buy one. Now here he's saying, I want you to use the resources I have given you. So how does this apply to us? Which of those do we go with? Well, God wants us to use what we already have for his service. And he wants us to rely on him for what we don't have. And the way in which we demonstrate our reliance on him for what we don't have is in prayer. We think of our vision window. Remember we looked at that a little while ago? Think of those things that are most important to us. We want to be a caring church, a worshipping church, a learning church. If you want to equip and engage and enable gospel work to be done, <coughs> excuse me, we need to pray. God wants us to, to come to him and ask him for, for what we need so that we will be fully equipped to do his work. And for that we need to come to him every day with our needs. So we don't need to fear rejection because we are sent and we are equipped by God. So why else shouldn't we fear rejection? Well, we are bringing God's message of peace. Have a look at verse 5. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Well, what is this peace? Look on to verse 8. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is near you. The message of peace is that the kingdom of God is near. What does that mean? Well, remember at this stage, Jesus' disciples didn't fully understand the whole gospel. They didn't really know what Jesus had come to do, that he was going to die and come back to life. They couldn't give a full explanation of the gospel. So what were they going to do? 
Well, they were going before Jesus. Look what it says in verse 1. He sent them ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. They went ahead of him to tell people that the Messiah had arrived. God was about to implement his plan of salvation. The rule of God through Jesus had begun. It is therefore time to repent and turn to him. Why is it a message of peace? Well, because God's plan of salvation brings peace to mankind's greatest area of conflict. And that is the hostility that exists between man and God. That is hostility that is caused by sin. And Jesus came to remove that hostility. He came to remove that sin and make peace between humankind and God. And so Jesus' followers, are like, they're like peace negotiators. They're bringing an offer of peace from God. And so Jesus tells his disciples, heal the sick. Show God's compassion and power, that he wants peace and is able to bring it. Now the sad thing is, like any peace negotiation, there'll be some who sadly prefer to remain at war. Like the dissident groups suspected of killing the uh, prison officer in Northern Ireland just uh, a couple of weeks ago. Some don't want to lay down their arms. It means giving up their their control and their power. 1938, Neville Chamberlain went to, to Germany to broker a peace agreement, which he thought he had achieved, but only for Hitler to ignore it. He didn't want peace for our lifetime. He wanted control and power. And that is what many people want in their individual lives. And Jesus said, in that case, if the offer of peace is rejected, then wipe the dust off your feet. This was a symbolic action. It signified the separation between God and that rejecting city. It was saying they are accountable for their rejection of God. But Jesus said, it doesn't change the message. Still tell them the kingdom of God is near. The trouble is to reject the message of peace is a dangerous thing. As Jesus says to his disciples in verse 16, he who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. He who rejects me rejects him who sent me. They're not just rejecting Jesus' disciples, they are rejecting Jesus Himself. They are rejecting the one who sent Jesus, God the Father. And that has a consequence. They will experience judgment. And the extent of that judgment will depend on how much chance they had had to repent, it says here. It says the citizens of Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, who'd heard Jesus in person, who'd witnessed his miracles, it won't be good. The passage makes clear that you can be in only one of two categories. Either you choose to receive Jesus as God and Saviour, or you reject him. I wonder how many of you have been coming to church for some time and still just holding back from committing your life to Jesus Christ. The message here is don't delay. We've got a baptismal service this evening. Amy's being baptised, Becca's being baptised. If you want to come and profess faith in Jesus Christ, accept him for the first time, why not do it tonight? A great opportunity to do so. 
we who are already Christians are bringing God's message of peace and it's an urgent message. So why is it so difficult to to share today if it is so urgent, if it is such a message of peace and good news? Why do we find it difficult? Well, I'd like to suggest a couple of reasons why because the first of those is that people live often at a very superficial level. They don't have many conversations about deeper spiritual issues. We live in a world of texts and, and tweets, sound bites, low attention spans. And sometimes if you start to get into a deeper level with people, they feel uncomfortable. You notice that, don't you, sometimes? But also, to accept a message of peace means that you need to accept that you are at war. And most people do not consider they are at war. To tell someone who's leading a fairly decent life that they are at war with God will offend them, will make you unpopular. And these two reactions of making people uncomfortable or, or offended mean we would often rather just say nothing. So what, how can we help each other in this, in this area? Well, just, just a couple of um, practical um, suggestions for us here this morning. First of all, don't take rejection personally. Take a lesson from the telemarketers here. They know it's not them personally who are being rejected when you put the phone down them, when they get abused. They know it's the product, the company that they're representing. And as we said earlier, it's not us as Christians people are rejecting, it is God. And in some ways, the more we experience rejection, the more we are becoming like Christ, the one who experienced the most rejection. Don't take that personally. Secondly, be sensitive to where people are at. If you get an an angry response, a blank response, leave it. Don't be like the, the telemarketers who won't take no for an answer. You know, if Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, that means there are those who are spiritually open, who want to hear the good news, who want to, to receive it. Don't waste your time at the top of a ladder or the top of a tree trying to pick the fruit at the top that don't want to be picked. Thirdly, don't worry about giving the full gospel message as clearly as is possible. In many ways, we're in a privileged position compared to Jesus' disciples here. We understand the full gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection. We know that through that we can be forgiven, we can have eternal life. And we need to continually grow in in our understanding of the implications of that and our ability to express it. But we don't need to wait until we feel confident before we start doing that. We can tell what Jesus means to us now, how he's changed our lives. And finally, be gracious and loving. If you are a Christian, it's because God has opened your eyes to see the truth. And don't therefore look down on those who haven't understood the gospel, but pray that they would have their eyes open too. And love them in the same way that God sent Jesus into the world. He sent him into the world because he loved the world. And so should we. Well, so far we've looked at reasons why we shouldn't fear rejection, but now we come on to the real joy that can be ours if we do follow Christ. When the disciples come back, they're buzzing. Not only have they not experienced much rejection, they 
have cast out demons in Jesus' name. They have seen Jesus' power at work. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You demonstrated my power over evil spirits. And he says, you will experience more things like this because I have given you authority to do so. But, he says, here is the most important lesson. Verse 20. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What he's saying is don't let your joy depend on temporary success. Yes, let's rejoice when people are healed, when demons are cast out. But let's not forget that they are still people. They will still one day die. And more important is our eternal future, our eternal security. And likewise, don't let your joy be dependent on how successful your ministry is. It's great when people respond positively to the gospel message. But the number of people who respond, who reject the message, shouldn't affect our deep underlying joy, our assurance that we have that we are accepted by God, that our names are written in heaven. There will be many lists that our names may have been on in our lifetimes. I still remember at school going up to the the notice board to see whether my name was written on there for the sports teams and the pleasure it brings to see your name written there. Yes, you've been included in that team. Your name is on the list. I remember going to the notice board at university to see not just if my name was on the list, but where it was on the list. Was it down here under the failures or up here on those with the high pass marks? But ask me, none of those lists matters. The only real list that matters is whether our names are written in the book of life, whether we are saved, whether when we meet Jesus on that day, he will open up the book and say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy your master's happiness. Rejoice in knowing your name is written in heaven. But the rejoicing doesn't stop here. Look at verse 21. This is full of joy. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your great, your good pleasure. Now, remember that Father doesn't need to reveal the kingdom to anyone. He doesn't need a relationship with us to make him somehow full or complete. And yet, he chooses to make himself known. Why? Because it's his good pleasure. He's pleased to do so. And he does say to little children, which is meant to provide a contrast with the wise and the learned. In other words, although God is unfathomable, we will never fully know him, To have a relationship with him doesn't require a huge amount of of knowledge and human intellect. It is about a simple, childlike trust. The same unquestioning trust that a young child has in his or her parents before they get to the age where they think they know better. The trouble with the wise and the learned is that they rely on their human intellect and think they know better than God. 
God is pleased to make himself known to us. As it says over in chapter 12, verse 32, turn over the page, a couple of pages. It says there, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Again, we should be delighted by that because he didn't have to do it, but he, he wanted to, he was pleased to. It is the kingdom that Jesus' disciples are telling people is near. The kingdom that the prophets have been looking forward to for hundreds of years. Which is why Jesus says to his disciples privately at the end of this passage, he says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. It is a kingdom where peace rules. And on a day when we remember those who have given their lives for us, we can rejoice that in the face of war, there is the hope of peace. Peace between God and humankind that leads to peace between humans. It's a kingdom that Jesus wants us to invite people to enter, It's a kingdom that you can be part of today. If you accept your need to be forgiven and made right with God and that that is only possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Rejoice in knowing that the Father delights in you. Let's have a moment of quiet to just reflect on that and just rejoice in your hearts if you are ready A Christian, you know what it means to have a father who loves you perfectly. And if that's not you yet, then maybe pray that he would be your father too. Father, we thank you that you delight in us, that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us, to make yourself known. You're pleased to have a relationship with us, and you are pleased to make that possible by removing the barrier of sin and hostility. We thank you that because of that our names are written in heaven and that whatever happens to us in this life, nothing can take away from the great joy, the great reassurance that that gives us. Lord, we praise you for that. And Lord, with such a joy in our hearts, we pray that you would uh, send us out into this world to, to invite others into your kingdom, to tell them the good news that Jesus has died for them. Lord, help us not to fear rejection because we can know that it is you who sends us, it is you who equips us and help us to never rely on our own resources but to continually come back to you for our help and our strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.